He leads the global capabilities team to identify and drive innovative data and analytic solutions for Equifax, one of the national credit reporting companies. Peter Maynard has generated six patent-pending technologies while implementing a global trended data capability. He oversees analytical product development and innovation, identity linking and matching, identity fraud solutions, as well as data and model governance across Equifax's global markets. Meet the leaders shaping the new era of credit. This is the Vantage Core Podcast. Today, we talk to Peter Maynard, Senior Vice President of USIS Data and Analytics at Equifax. Part two. The challenge with using machine learning is, is I would say, kind of the fear of black box algorithms. It's interesting. I'll tell you how we at Equifax came up with it. So it was 2015, and uh, I had the privilege of, of leading our, our data science innovation team. And we were talking about, um, actually, the, the data scientist who was in charge of the effort, a guy named Jeremy Mitchell. He said, look, you know, why are we confining ourselves to just logistic regression? Like why, you know, I love people who challenge the process. Why, why do we, and the answer is, well, you know, we're worried about the regulatory piece. Like you can't use a neural net or brain boosting machine or random forest because people don't know how they work. And so he's like, well, it's, it's only math, right? It can't, like, what do you, what do you mean it doesn't work? Like it, there's a, it's a mathematical algorithm, right? You know, it doesn't mean it doesn't, you know, we can't find out. It's just math. And so there's a PhD mathematician on the team, a guy named Matt Turner, who he and Mike McBurnett, they kind of rolled up their sleeves and they, they said, well, well, let's figure this out. And so what they did is they, they identified how to build a neural net algorithm. And now we've expanded to gradient boosting machines and random forests. That is actually regulatory compliant. So it, it is transparent. So I think people have always said, oh, AI and machine learning is a black box, right? And so what we've done is we've solved for that. So it's not a black box. So it's something that we continually focus on. And so the other thing I would say about AI and machine learning is that, you know, I think people, rightfully so, they want transparency in terms of how it's used, right? And what I would say to that is, and so you'll hear things about, you know, these algorithms and they're doing like, people don't know how they're working and all that. So I would say the credit industry is really ahead of the curve and actually is an exemplar for other industries and how to sensibly use AI and machine learning because we have really good practices on model building. So if you think about what an algorithm is, right, just a mathematical equation. And so, you know, the OCC and the Federal Reserve and and other regulators came up with guidance around using models and credit decisions. OCC to 11-12 was a really seminal document that a lot of predictive modelers use to guide them in how to make decisions with, with models and banking and credit and those sort of things. But if you look at that document, it's just a recipe for how do you do really good analytics? How do you really do good model building? You need to know the data, right? And so a lot of the things that you've heard around AI and where AI has gone wrong is, well, they didn't go to principles, you know, first, first principles about, well, how do you do good model building? Never mind AI. It's nothing to do with AI. If you build a model on biased data, you're going to get a biased outcome, right? So, and if you don't think about your inputs and their correlation, right, or their blind spots, or what population, you know, you built it on one population, you're applying it to another, it's not going to necessarily work. So it's kind of that, those sort of principles and kind of how you build models. I think people who fear AI should probably turn to those sort of tools that are out there that have been explored. And we've, we've done a lot of work with responding to 
RFIs that you know, the CFPB has put out to kind of provide our input so we can help the industry think about these problems. Because I don't want people to fear it. I want people to use it to so that they can get you know better access to credit, better access to the products that they deserve. So I think it's really incumbent upon us as data scientists to fully explain how these things are and not go, it's a black box, you know, we really don't know, or just trust us, it's going to work. No, that's, that's not how it's done. The benefits of machine learning and AI, the first one is that it generates significantly better performance. So, you know, what's interesting is, the, you know, the age of the algorithm, we started to see in our internal modeling, 2014, 2015, a three percentage point increase in KS, going from like a 60 to a 63 in some of our models. And that was one where we're like, that's why we started to pay attention. Like, wow, it's, you know, before it was kind of neck and neck, but we saw that it was really better at generating these sort of insights and generating better performance. And we've also seen it in terms of attribute or feature creation. It allows you to parse the data and get into segments or micro behaviors more effectively and tease out their value in the predictive equation. So you can more intelligently build a model. The thing you have to watch out for overfit, right? Which is what we've, you know, because of our, our methodologies, we actually control for that, which is fantastic. But it allows you to actually build the model to behave better and more predictive on key subsegments. The other piece that I would say is that what we're seeing now is that you can generate thousands of attributes and hundreds of models in a sitting, right? It's kind of interesting, you know, the horsepower in the, the computational speed, we just keep filling up that bucket. So it was a smaller bucket before, now it's a larger bucket. We just fill it up and now we want a larger. So we're just able to do a lot more. So the productivity of the data scientists and the range of, of models and the model testing that you can do to optimize is important. But there's still a lot more to go. So, you know, for us, it's the feedback loop in terms of, how do you automate this whole model building and refitting process? So that's something that we're aspiring to, like how, do, how can we further automate this process? Well, the way that AI is used today in the consumer credit industry and where do I think it's going to go in the future? So it's definitely getting adopted at the you know, consumer credit, right? In terms of approving credit, things like how much credit line assignments, specific banking products across that whole value stream. I'd also say that it's heavily used in fraud prevention and detection. So if you think about the various signals that Equifax gets around identity and fraud, having AI to rapidly diagnose those signals. And for example, we have Count. We just acquired Count, a fantastic company that does unsupervised learning in its fraud solutions to identify aberrant transactions and aberrant behavior. And that's very different from the profile of that consumer so that we can seize that transaction and stop it in process or before the shipping of the transaction happens in the purchasing. And so that for us is really tremendously important. So the AI is in the self-learning that happens in those unsupervised learning models as it gets, you know, gets more data and gets better and better, improves customer experience so that the customers, we can detect whether or not, hey, they just happen to be transacting with a new device as opposed to this is somebody who's taken over a device, right? So 
that sort of information helps the customer and they can have a frictionless experience, helps the merchant who uses those services so that they can confidently approve the customer for the product and continue on. So I see that that is going to be leveraged more in the future is the feedback loop of applying these AI algorithms to improve customer experience, to improve decisioning, not just credit decision, but any decisioning. And then refitting, rebuilding quickly to hone in on it so that it gets better and better over time. And so that is going to be really important. And so I see that not only is this going to be important in just kind of traditional banking, but you can see that these these AI algorithms and the AI approaches are pervasive across multiple industries. And so that's exciting. You know, healthcare is one that I see that people are beginning to hone in on in terms of enabling doctors to predict diagnoses and, and able to discern really what's wrong with patients much faster and better than have in the past. So those are the sort of things that get me excited about AI and the future of AI. AI is not about a sentient being. I think we throw the term AI around very loosely. Same thing with machine learning. So I think that just as a vernacular, you know, I think if you know if you if you look, watch the Transformer movies, that's not what we're talking about. You know, we're not talking about sentient beings here. So I think that's what's you know some people in the, may misunderstand that. I think there's been a lot of hype on AI, a lot of people talking about AI, and I think people think, oh, I need to go get me some of that AI, right? Like the way that Equifax has approached it is, and you heard from what I talked about, is, oh, what's is it something that's required based on the need, either a client's needs or internal needs. We'll build models and we'll go, gosh, you don't need a machine learning or AI model now. You need something really more streamlined or basic, right? And so we're always looking at what's the best answer. And so I think the hype cycle around it has been high. And so people have felt like they have to do it. I think it's really understanding where it can create value and where it can differentiate is really most important. When I joined Equifax, I knew that Equifax had a lot of data, right? I knew the credit bureau data. I didn't realize the amount of alternative data that Equifax had. And we, you know, we call it alternative mainstream data because it's now mainstream. People use it all the time. If you think about the ecosystem or just the fact that we're under the data industrial revolution right now. I was at a talk in London a couple of years ago and there was someone from The Economist was, was speaking a publication and he said, you know, People failed to recognize this, but Adam Smith actually introduced data as a factor of production. And he said, if you look at Theory and the Wealth of Nations, his seminal book, there's actually data tables in the book that are referenced. And people just glossed over it. And he's like, look, people glossed over it. He goes, well, they shouldn't have glossed over it because it's not just land, labor, capital, it's data. So being the geek guy I am, I actually looked at the book and I did find the data tables. And he was right. I was like, wow, yeah, there are data tables in here. And so it is the way we as an economy, right? It's the way we roll. It's the way that you know people are looking at data as a factor of production that can help them improve productivity or provide services to consumers or other businesses. So it is something that is now, I would say, becoming mainstream, right? And so credit bureaus were the original big data years ago. When I started this out in 1999 and I had millions of observations, like that blew my mind, right? Well, that doesn't blow our minds now. We have billions of transactions that, that count processes. There's, we have millions of inquiries that come into us as a credit bureau. And so there's a lot of this data out there. And so for us, alternative data is something that is new data that gives you a different perspective 
about the consumer. And so what we like to talk about, you know, is information asymmetry. How can we close that information asymmetry? It gives you a different view of the consumer, a new view of the consumer or a new view of the business that enables you to make better decisions. And so we're always looking for data that can help our clients in terms of knowing their consumers more, right? Knowing their businesses that they serve more. And so hot topics in data right now are things like rental data. That's a hot topic. You know, how can we look at rental data? Payment data is a hot topic. So you have buy now, pay later data, which is, you know, you can get on a website and then you can pay something off in four easy payments of a fixed amount. You know, if you want to buy luggage, it could be $200. You could do four easy payments of $50, right? That buy now, pay later is basically an extension of layaway payments. And so that sort of data is now a new type of data source. So these data sources are always being generated. They're always being derived. And so for our job at Equifax is to guide others and ourselves, like, hey, how can we use that data intelligently to make better decisions? One of the things that's really important is understanding the data. So, you know, make sure it's complete, it's accurate. And it's also, you know, it's also unbiased. I think one of the things that is important, we do a lot of testing about our data to make sure it's compliant with fair lending practices, those sort of things. And so I think that's really important as well is to, as people come up with this alternative data to ensure it's, it's regulatory compliant and it helps consumers. So that's really one of the things that Equifax pays attention to as we look at alternative data. I would say the other things that need to be looked at in terms of alternative data is like the coverage of it, the performance of it. Folks don't see it behind the scenes, but we've been doing this for decades of collecting data from issuers, cleaning the data, streamlining, having a dispute and disclosure process around it. So we can ensure that if there's any issues in the data that consumers detect or businesses detect, that it can be remediated. So it's really important that you have not only the data source, but you have the infrastructure to support the data source behind it. And so those are some of the things that we look to help others with. I love when we get a non-intuitive result. So when there is something that, you know, someone does some analysis on my team, a new you know, data scientist in the company or even experienced data scientist says, look, gosh, you know, I discovered this. And, you know, I just, does this make sense to you? And that, I love those sort of investigations of, of kind of finding out the, the ground truth of what, what's really going on and helping the teams do that. Because that's usually an opportunity, quite frankly. And part of that, you may have heard it in kind of how I think about things, but I love guiding and helping others. You know, I love leading teams. My role has evolved to someone who is an analytics general manager, right? So let me guide organizations strategically how to best to use data and analytics for competitive advantage, right? How can they use it to help organizations, help each other? I also have been part of an effort internally about building access to credit. And I think that's really important too. Like we're not just here on this earth to just kind of show up every day, punch the clock and then kind of move on. It's really about how do we leave it a better place for the next generation? And I really strongly believe in that. And so we at Equifax are like, hey, how can we build credit access? How can we improve the ability of people to get access to credit? Because it's so important to them. Now, people really manage credit scores, right? They look at credit scores as something that can help them and something that needs to be tended to. And so we want to help in that process. 
and guide them so that they can, you know, um, achieve, you know, and this is our purpose as Equifax can achieve their financial best, right? That's that I really love that purpose statement as a company. So for me, you know, just being able to show up at work every day and be a part of that is really special and teach others how they can be their best while creating the financial best for others is fun and dynamic. One of the things about access to credit is that there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of opportunity to enable people to get access to credit. What I'm particularly excited about is how the Vantage score has solved that and that it scores more consumers and it enables more consumers to get access to the products that they want, either the credit card products or personal loan products or auto products or mortgage products, because it scores more consumers. And so that is really important. And something I've you know, articulated to regulators, like, hey, if given what's happened in the past year with obviously the, the disparities in income and wealth generation over, over the last decades and, and longer than that for Black and Latino minorities, one step that companies can take is expanding access to the Vantage score. So I think that's really important. At Equifax, we're also generating, we have solutions that do that as well. Uh, so our alternative data, our, our NCTUE data helps enable that access to credit. Our data X data helps enable that access to credit. And then our work number data helps enable that access to credit. So those solutions are really important just to help people get their first product so that companies can invest in them and help those consumers grow. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of VantageScore Solutions. This podcast is brought to you by VantageScore Solutions, a higher level of confidence. Thanks for listening.